finished my tea. Do we have beer? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Meetup, the Filipino Freethinkers podcast. That's also a video. I am Red, and I'm joined today by Senator Risa Ontiveros. Hello, Welcome to the salamat. show. Hello, salamat. Hello, everyone. What do you mean it's also on video? Usually podcasts is, are just audio. Yes. Huh. Okay, yeah. I learned so, something already. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, congratulations. The Solidar oh, Silver you. Rose. I, I was reading yes. your speech. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> if you don't know about it, it's an award for her contributions to progressive civil society. Mm. Like here's a list of all of the things that all of the bills that you worked on. Like all we'll of show the bills on, we worked on. We worked on uh, yeah. on screen. Long Most recently, together. the Mental Health, yes. HIV and AIDS yes. Policy Act, mm-hmm. and the Safe Streets yes. and Public Spaces. We'll talk more about that later. Okay. But it's actually our group's 10th anniversary. Oh! And, yeah. Mabuhay, Filipino freethinkers! <laughs> and from the start, you you were ah, always there. Yeah, uh, you're only age. a decade old. Wow! Only a decade old. Galing, galing. <laughs> so decade let's do a 10-year challenge. Oh my gosh. So from 2009 okay. versus 2019, <laughs> how much has the political landscape changed from when oh God. 2009, yeah. Arroyo was the one in power True. versus 2019, uh-huh. Arroyo is the one in power. No, the is Still, the one again. In, the yeah. is the one in power. So, hmm. how much has the political landscape changed? Oh my God. So much. And then also, shockingly, not enough pala, no? After all. Yeah, if you look at it that way from a decade's point of view. So, tw- 2009, we were at the tail end of the Macapagal-Arroyo administration. We'd survived her state of emergency. Survived. survived talaga. Yes. So, yeah, 10-year challenge, you said. And uh, we were on the uh, former president, Cory Aquino, had just died. And suddenly there was this surprise candidacy. And so we were on the eve of an unexpected, maybe, you know, a short-term renaissance or renewed hope. Yeah. And we actually were able to try and do a little, do or do a lot during the six years. But now... 2019, shockingly, we haven't been able to sustain many of those good or renewed beginnings of 2010. And we're really um, operating under duress on, on a lot of fronts under attack, whether the democracy front, the gender sensitivity and gender justice, gender equality front, hey, the, the, the constitutionalism uh, front. So it's, yeah, I, I didn't think to to frame it the way you do in free thinkers, uh, to look at it from the point of view of your first decade of life. Boy, you've seen a lot of changes on the terrain and you've been part of oh. a lot of the changes. God. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we tried. So yeah. back then you were in the House of Representatives, yes. now you're a senator. Yes. Like how different has that been? Mm. Again, like our national terrain, um, in a lot of ways the same and in some ways different. Well. The Senate is a, a different space from the House in the sense that uh, even under this presidency, um, somehow we have a little more elbow room to push back, to, to critique, hopefully constructively, to propose alternatives. And that's why, Siguro Red, you've noticed that there are commentators who've said, observers who've said that the Senate is like the last bastion yes, for I, democracy. I mm. I and so people have started to say, you know, we have to hold the line for democracy at the Senate. Yeah. We have to strengthen the Senate. 
Um, but it's also like the house in the sense that, and I can say this as someone who loves legislative work, that it's basically similar processes, filing bills, filing resolutions, and then investigating them, trying to push the bills into law, every year debating the budget. That's why this year's budget was so traumatic, you know, protracted. Uh, it was like, you know, we were on the, a cliff, prevented from being merely reenacted, yeah. but trying to extract the pork out of it. So eventually, minority and Senator Ping voted no to the 2019 budget. Of course, we haven't, unlike in previous administrations, we haven't had a an impeachment process. But that's also in the realm of the possible for for the legislature. So again, how funny, you know, like our country um, working now in the Senate compared to working in the House before, there are things that are the same. Um, there's things that are so different. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say mm -hmm. that Senate is a rubber stamp Senate. No, it's not. So I think we, we have a rubber stamp uh, House of Representatives right except now. Except for the um, Magnificent Seven. So the low, lowering of the Yeah, the minimum, minimum age, age of like criminal that, that responsibility. The, Senate. the matter. Well, but we've um, delayed it. You've delayed it. Yeah. Okay. Please um, keep <laughs> Yes, we will delay <laughs> forever or uh, we will kill yeah. it. At least we've bought some time, this three-month campaign period that we're adjourned from session we have time to really impress upon the senators that don't, you know, vote no to that bill. Vote no again because we already killed it two years ago. Then suddenly, just because of a PIDEA raid in Navotas, which arrested 12 kids along with the adults. Uh, and then after that, the president got irritated. So suddenly, merely because of presidential irritation, <laughs> this bill that we had voted down two years ago was resurrected from the basket, waste yeah. basket. And in a mere two weeks, it was in plenary already. Yeah. But so anyway, when we resume May 20th, after the election for a three-week session, uh, there's still three of us who are listed to interpolate, and we intend to interpolate to death. Yeah. And then by Thank that you. time, hopefully, we'll have really even more of a fighting chance, mano mano, to boot it down again. In 2009, mm. the country was divided along the pro-RH versus <laughs> anti-RH lines. And fast forward 2019, mm. we are now DDS versus Dilawan. <laughs> you know, those are the words yeah. the camps throw at each other. Yeah. So. What do you think about this polarization? Like, how has this affected the way you do things? And what are you doing to address it? It's really made um, legislative work that much more difficult. Um, it's already like a double uh, burden to try to deliver on the legislative promises to, to achieve the legislative agenda, while at the same time being in opposition, in minority. Um, and then, really, this even more uh, polarized atmosphere makes it even heavier. We have to contend not just with the, the real politics, but also the virtual politics. Say in social media, yeah. President is very frustrating, but well, that's his persona. That's the persona of many strong men, would be dictators around the world who are, you know, slash and burning democracy. The, the, uh, he never tried, from day one, never tried to be the president of everybody, yeah. of those who voted for him and those of us who didn't vote for him. Yeah. Never tried at all to be president of all Filipinos, as was his mandate, as is his mandate. But from day one has been warring on targeted sections of the population. And not only that, has been turning us against each other. So it's made it harder to, on the one hand, 
you know, try, try to shrug off that Dilawan label because, hey, many or most of us were part of the so-called yellow forces and it was a badge of honor then he himself his mom (laughs) himself you know wore yellow at some point or another and makes it harder for uh, our allies kindred spirits fellow travelers to resist using the term dds with all of its pejorative connotations because it's so polarized and the, the added burden for everybody is combating the fake news, you know, really trying to get to the facts, try to debate with each other based on the facts, and with a semblance of mutual respect still. It's hard, huh? it, it, It's hard, you it's know. hard. Yeah. So one of the things that makes it even harder is mm. all the misinformation mm. thrown around. Like back in the RH, God. there was a lot of misinformation, a lot of pseudoscience thrown against Pseudoscience, uh, very timely now. Thrown and now against vaccines. Exactly, exactly. Sheesh. So tell, tell us about that. Like, how bad is the, the problem and what are our, our legislators doing to address this very important issue? It's very scary, yeah, actually. It's really very scary. And it's a fear that... Um, is a wake-up call for us all over the world. And I'm not exaggerating. We remember a few years ago, the scientists of the world held that march, right, of scientists of the world to say collectively as a a profession that, my God, what is all this non-evidence-based policymaking going on? And that's also our challenge, uh, a threat to us here in the Philippines. Um, In the Senate, we we made efforts, for example, holding... um, hearings on the fake news, on the trolling, uh, but I don't think we've exerted enough effort. And because of that, of course, we haven't launched enough uh, corrective measures. We are also, as legislators, even in the Senate, laboring under that burden of throwing off, exposing, and throwing into the wastebasket, into the shredder, the fake news. It's not enough for us to have said uh, both camps are guilty of fake news. Hello. You know, the president's camp has all that machinery since the time of the campaign joined to the Marcos machinery. It's using public funds until now in order to attack sections of the citizenry and set us against each other. So that's really a disservice uh, to their mandate. And it's, it's graft and corruption. Yes. So... And heat up. It's, it's so hard eh? um, trying to combat this uh, campaign of children of the lie yeah. uh, using our taxes. Yeah, it's anti-scientific nonsense. Yes. It's uh, what supported the, you know, their, their drug war is very unscientific. Yes. Super. And it's, it's really preying on people's emotions, right? Really. And it really and takes lack me of back information. To, to the RH bill before. Yes. It's, it's so much... Um, Pseudoscience, misinformation, and yes. it was the Catholic Church back then who was our, you know, unfortunately yes. our opponents. Yes. But now, fast forward 2019, they're on the right side at least on the on issue human rights of and extrajudicial killings. Extrajudicial yes. killings. So how much has has that changed the, your relationship? You were once the villain yes. of the Catholic Church, but now because of EJK yes. human rights, you're on yes. the same side. So how has that dynamic? evolved over time? Um, it's evolved in the sense of how it is um, evident or, or seen because I, I think from the martial law dictatorship and the anti-dictatorship struggle, clearly the Catholic Church hierarchy was our ally in terms of human rights, uh, democracy, constitutionalism, and now specifically on the fight against extrajudicial killings. 
But um, I think on the issues that have to do with gender, whether that was RH before or um, anti-discrimination now, so equality, uh, let alone later if the uh, public conversation will ensue on divorce, I think clearly the lines are drawn there. Mm. What I hope has also changed is uh, more an atmosphere of mutual respect. Uh, particularly from the hierarchy towards uh, advocates, allies like us who are their allies on uh, against extrajudicial killings, against the lowering of macker, against death penalty reimposition, but hopefully whom they can respect more yeah. in their tone, language, behavior, especially at the community level in the parishes and dioceses, on the gender issues that are for us. A fight of our lives also. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of those progressive mm. legislations, how mm. soon do you think those things will come? And other oh. than the Catholic Church's interference, yes. are there any other factors that keep those laws from being... Well, just um, presidential slowness, I guess, to sign uh, the list of bills that are already ratified by both houses of Congress and just awaiting presidential signature is growing longer, not, not naman by the day, but by the mm -hmm. month or by the week. So, but, you know, as long as he doesn't veto them, yeah. it, even if he doesn't sign them, they could lapse into law, like our previous laws almost did. He would sign them on the day before they would lapse into law. So, yeah. <laughs> that's <Power> okay. Lapse. <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> So, so let's talk about the laws that are okay. already here. I mentioned it earlier, okay. yeah. the safe streets yes. and public spaces. Mm. So what was it fighting for that law mm. when the main perpetrator against, you know, right. of sexual harassment is the highest position exactly. in the land? So exactly. what was that like? It was uh, in a way surreal because while we were hearing the bill and then um, passing it on third and final in the... Senate and then going to Bicam with the House and then ratifying the Bicam version and now waiting for him to sign. We are documenting, on average, one sexist remark of his a month. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so by now more Just than two dozen. Yeah, can you believe it? Maybe we're not paying <laughs> close enough an attention. I think, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I don't know for him. I don't know if that's an improvement, but compared to previous presidents and compared to our standards of presidential behavior, yeah. really, oh my God, um, jokes about you know reducing the vice president to a nice pair of knees mm -hmm. jokes about a uh, this fake sex video of senator lila mm -hmm. um uh, joking about rape yeah. to his soldiers in the arm our soldiers in the armed forces uh telling his uh, afp and pnp people to shoot women NPAs in the vagina. To make them useless. To make us useless. That's, as if that's all women we, are. Less one body part. That's yeah. all, you know, because that's all we're good for. Oh my God. Uh, he has really normalized yeah. what we are trying to to outlaw and punish in a law like safe streets in public spaces. So, but, you know, this president aside, thanks to advocates at the community level. In fact, even before the law is to be passed, there have been safe streets ordinances yes. in LGUs, like uh, Dagupan in the north, uh, Manila here, um, Quezon City, uh, and, uh, and other localities. So uh, it's to the credit of the advocates who didn't, again, who didn't give up on this, that now this is seeing the light of day. We're going to enhance our um, anti-sexual harassment law to make it not only 
committable by superior to subordinate, but also subordinate to superior um, uh, peers yeah. and strangers. So no longer just the school or work settings, but public spaces as well. Yeah, so this is certainly uh, one of the good first steps we can take mm. against rape culture. Yes. But there are still a lot of misconceptions and misinformation Super. about the safe uh, streets uh, yes. law. So yeah. what, what are the main misinforma- uh, misconceptions about it and how do you address it? One that? of the main misconceptions, both about safe streets and also the anti-rape law, yeah. has to do with victim blaming. Mm. Now, Oh, uh, you were you were harassed because you're dressed like that, because you went out alone without a companion, because you you walked at this time uh, in that place, mm. or just like victim blaming and slut shaming. If a woman complains of rape, it's your fault. I mean, wow, you know, women or LGBT or for that matter, men dress a certain way because that's what we feel like. It's like like in social equality, it's like part of our gender expression or our human expression or it's how we dress for the day or it's just our mood it's not an invitation to be harassed to be raped or violated in any way and if someone harasses like if someone rapes it's not the fault of the victim survivor it's the fault of the person who committed that crime so the safe streets and public spaces act and the our efforts to amend the anti-rape law to put lack of consent front and center of the crime of rape and to raise the age of consent from our medieval 12 to 18 uh, to therefore to provide protection against statutory rape to girls 13 to 17 years old. Um, This is part of changing our culture, of really internalizing among our citizenry that gender-sensitive language is good for all citizens. Um, So those are some of the misconceptions we're batting against and some of the changes we want to uh, engineer in ourselves, in our own worldview, and then in our society. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of sexual harassment, yeah. as a very visible leader of mm. the opposition, mm. I imagine you've experienced the worst of, you know, online probably rape threats, yeah. like sexist statements like this. How have you coped? Uh, what do you tell your fellow legislators? What do you tell your children to, co- to cope with these things? Yeah, my, my kids have even been, even been threatened. Well, um, well, my kids are, you know, like free thinkers, young people who are very aware, opinionated, very engaged, very woke, very woke. <laughs> I learned that word from them aside from, from free thinkers. Yeah. Um, and they're... Their engagement includes online engagement, aside from always talking about these things with their friends. So I get this feeling that in their, in your generation, in their generation, their culture, there's a real, not just potential, but actual pushback happening. That gives me hope for the future, through the future generations. And then I tell my colleagues, other women, uh, activists, politicians who are subjected to this harassment that... Okay, well, like from my personal experience, I tell them, you know, you know, I have to go through a lot of garbage every day yeah. to, to get to the real messages from real people. Yeah. But uh, we have to stay out there in the public space because even social media is an original democratic space of ours. It's just been become so, you know, such hostile territory. But we can't concede it. For, on the one hand, we should never submit to censorship, but we cannot concede that space. We have to take it back. 
they have to take it back as a place where people should treat each other properly as fellow human beings and it should be restored as a space for learning, for debate, for consensus building and always for mutual respect. So you just, just have to stay there, just have to hold the ground and take it back. It, it's interesting to me that you, you're saying we shouldn't concede social media yes. when you've experienced a lot of harassment because of it, a lot of fake news because yeah. of it. So I, I was thinking about the whole social media project. Mm. Do you think that on the whole, it's still a force for democracy rather for than sure. authoritarianism? For sure. It's, uh, it's part of what um, one of our comrades in Akabaya, Nathan Kimpo, has described as contested democracy. So democracy is contested. It's under attack. It's threatened to be hijacked yeah. and discredited because also of our democracy's um, faults and limitations. Yeah. Uh, we have not really deepened political democracy to the economic, to the social level. But does that mean we should give up on it as the dictators and would-be dictators want us to? No, never. We have to... Oh, Occupy democracy, reoccupy it, redefine it, re-express it, re-exercise it, yeah. take it back. And I really believe until now social media is part of that. So we have to stay in there, stay in the trenches, stay in the mud, slug it out properly. No, not slug it out by also debasing our opponents, but yeah. slug it out to say what this space is supposed to be and then repopulate it with the ideas, with the dynamics, with the attitudes and behaviors that, that are, we citizens deserve. Yeah. So social media is one of those flawed kind of spaces, yeah. but many argue that democracy itself has been flawed. Yes. Like the rise of populism yes. around the world is what many think of as uh, a result of the failings of liberal democracy. Yes. So, mm -hmm. so what do you think about these statements about the failings of liberal mm. democracy? And how have you um, addressed or plan to address it so that, you know, populist yeah. things like Duterte or Trump do not happen anymore? Yeah. I think we need to learn our lessons from the challenge of those populists, that people feel for them, our own compatriots feel for them, because of a real failing of formal democracy towards them. So that's our mea culpa. But, and speaking as a, a social democrat, as a socialist, I've always claimed the gains of liberal democracy as our own also. I mean, it's not only liberal democrats who believe in human rights and democ formal democracy, electoral and political democracy. I believe those are common um, uh, patrimony, legacy, of all of us, of whatever shades of true Democrats, even those who don't believe in a particular kind of democracy, but who are humanists, who are um, postmodernists, you know, who challenge all these grand narratives. Because I believe every human being who, in our right mind, our right you know, heart, we, we do believe that every person has dignity, has rights, you know, has a right to occupy our space on the planet. So. And so we believe that there's some kind of social contract yeah. that has to bind us human beings, citizens, and with other species on the planet. And I think that that's one very real 
irreplaceable um, element of liberal democracy. But let's expand it, a broader political democracy, and let's deepen it to social and economic um, democracy. And, and if if we start with understanding why people are attracted to populists, yeah. you know, we don't just dismiss them out of hand. Don't you know look down on them or insult them. We don't have a right to do yeah. that because we're part of why we are in this situation. We're part of the problem. But if we if we first understand each other, we try to spark a dialogue, a real debate, then may I believe we'll we'll discover common concerns or even common understanding of the problem. And even in those small spaces, then we start to address the problem, craft solutions together, give people a chance to to rediscover that, ah, okay, so democracy is the worst system we have, except for all the others. <laughs> and then, you know, try to try to solve the problems within that space. So you mentioned about the dignity of mm. every human being mm. and whether we believe that, you know, that was, that was tested. Yeah. That was tested in 2016 and we mm. failed that test. Like, do you think that Filipino culture has changed to mm. be supportive of EJKs, of the destruction of human rights and all of these institutions? Like, did we change toward that or were we revealed to be that lacking? That's our, that's the most disturbing question so far this morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I believe culture is dynamic for one thing. It, it can seem insurmountable because sometimes culture is even more powerful than a political system or economic system because it undergirds it. But I believe if we are able to change our culture, then it can make some economic and political changes a little more little less difficult or a little more doable. So has our culture changed or have we been revealed to be that way? Uh, whatever it is, we have to contend with this depressing situation that there isn't yet a big public outcry about the tens of thousands who've been killed so far. I do believe fear is part of it. Uh, but I also believe that the populist project of the president has really... Uh, well, first targeted to create that fear, to demobilize people. And he has demobilized us by breaking the solidarity among groups, by, by deepening and creating new enmities among us. So we have to break that fear. We have to rediscover that, yeah, even if we hate each other's guts sometimes, you know, we're all in this together. And to rediscover that, that person, those persons who've been killed and thrown on the street like garbage, I mean, my God, they're human beings they're too. Human they're beings. Filipinos too. So alongside or part of the democracy project is really the humanist project. Just to rediscover that what's done to that person, it's actually done to me. And in time, it might be yes. if we don't speak up. Speaking yeah. of mm. depressing situations, <laughs> oh, no. Corruption is making a comeback. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, Arroyo is again in power like in 2009. Yep. Like the people who we thought were going to be punished for PDAF mm -hmm. aren't being punished. They're mm -hmm. back in power. They're threatening to, to make an even stronger comeback, to go after those who put them in jail. Right. Uh, the pork is what, four times bigger? I, something I read like so, that. something like that. 
like they've made it more difficult for ordinary citizens to look at salients mm. now in in Congress. Mm -hmm. So it feels very hopeful. Like what <laughs> I want to ask. Because this is like the the word the political term for it is garapal. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. It, it feels helpless. Like, mm -hmm. shouldn't it be so obvious that they are just stealing money from us? Yeah. Like, isn't aren't they just slapping us at the at in the on the face at this point? Yeah. What are legislators who are not corrupt doing about it? Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing that our legislators can do about it, what can average uh, citizens do about it? Boy, we don't have a right to say we, we don't have any, we can, there's nothing we can do because we were elected yeah. and then each of us are citizens with with a power or, and, and with a mandate or, or a responsibility. Well, for starters, um, all of us in minority and Senator Ping voted no to yeah. the budget. And then uh, once the president's budget call goes out anytime now, we will start again to try to craft uh, a budget for year 2020 that is obedient to the ruling of the Supreme Court against, against Port that. Barrel. And uh, we can continue hammering on the uh, corruption issues that have remained and some would say are even worse uh, in, the, in uh, hearing and debating on the various bills and resolutions. Uh, uh, requesting congressional investigation. These issues of sale of a franchise of a telecommunications company to yeah. a new uh, group yeah. despite violations to the terms of that old franchise and then the dubious character of the members of that new group which will become our third major player. Yeah. Uh, and then bills that would by mere legislation, amend the constitutional provision on a 60-40 Filipino foreign share, even in uh, strategic industries. So these are some of the, the ways that we can push back against uh, corruption and or uh, economic arrangements that are really detrimental to the national interest. So the, despite all of these mm. bad negative things that are <laughs> happening to our democracy, and the recent survey results mm. about yeah, what gives you hope? Like, how do you keep going on? And <laughs> what what can give us hope? The people who have become helpless. I, I've known mm. a lot of people who have just pieced out of uh, oh, social media no. yeah. of, the, of the whole democratic exercise. Oh, like, no. I'm just gonna try to enjoy my life now, yes. self care and all that. Yes. So what what can give us hope? Well. Um, I remembered earlier the, the young people who are woke, so that's you, stay woke. Um, you give me hope, free, Filipino free thinkers, you give me hope, my kids give me hope. Um, the young people who, who care, which I think every generation does, just in their own way, in your own way. So keep caring, and in your own ways. Um, I, what gives me hope is, um, just continuing to believe in the stuff that inspired us to start doing what we do in the first place, whether it's legislation or it's creating a culture of free thinking and then engaging in social issues. Um, what gives me hope is just uh, our accident of birth. You know, we were born on this planet. We were born in this country. We were born this species and not some other <laughs> species in the ecosystem. So... Maybe it was so that we could do something, something worthwhile. Um, 
Well, I mean, what else is supposed to give us hope anyway, right? Oh my God. And you mentioned... I finished my tea. Do we have beer? <laughs> <laughs> there will be some later. But you know, my, my hair is standing on end because you yeah. mentioned the accident of birth. Did you know that yes. yesterday was Darwin Day by any chance? Was what day? Darwin Day. Oh, yeah. really? Charles Darwin? So, yes. Alright. Yeah. See? So, Science, <laughs> evolution, improvement yeah. of the species. That was fate. Ah, that, it was fate. It's a sign that... Right. Yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so Filipino freethinkers and Darwin are... Oh, definitely. Close in birthday. De <laughs> also, definitely, that's definitely. That's uh, spirit. That's a nice coincidence <laughs> there. Super. So tell oh, us, wow. what, what are you working on now? And you okay. know, what, what can we look forward to? Huh, okay, what are we working on right now? Still the anti-discrimination, Soji Equality Bill. Still, still, still. And then, of course, the campaign for, uh, on the one hand, Akbayan in the party list, and on the other, also Derecho, uh, the op Senate opposition candidates, including plus two labor candidates. So with them working on the security of tenure bill, working against the lowering of the minimum age of criminal responsibility, uh, still working uh, against extrajudicial killings uh, with, for example, the wonderful Bishop Ambo in Caloocan. Uh, um, a recent map of the EJKs showed that Caloocan, Manila, and Quezon City account for the greatest number of EJKs still in the mm. country. So they're still going on, so we still have to keep fighting them. So stuff like that. Great. <laughs> and um, finally, I want to go back to something that you said earlier mm -hmm. about President Duterte failing to be a president yes. of the entire country, of yes. every citizen. So I know that you are a senator of every citizen, <laughs> uh, even the DDS, even yeah, the so-called voted for me. DDS. <laughs> I, I know. So to the DDS who are still watching this, yes. thank you and congratulations. Wow, good job. To <laughs> You're you. still here. What, what can you tell them? What is your, your final message to those uh, BDS who yeah. are still with us? Well, my final message, uh, dear uh, Kababayan, compatriots, fellow Filipinos who count yourselves among the supporters uh, of the president, I guess my final message is after this midterm election, we have to start thinking uh, not just about the general election in 2022, but the rest of the years of our lives and what we're going to leave to our children. I think even from opposite sides of the fence, we can see how much damage has happened in our country. Uh, okay, let's not just limit it to the past three years, but the past many years, damage that we inherited from our history that we still want to repair. Um, maybe you're hoping to repair them in the next three years, and I'm still hoping with you to repair them in the next administrations to come. So uh, hopefully we can survive the uh, ugly style of fighting that's become popular the past three years. And as um, Red and I were talking about earlier, um, try to begin to search for common ground. I know there are still issues we believe in in common. Every once in a while, some of you communicate that to me through social media. So let's try to expand those spaces and um, leading up to 2022 and certainly beyond, uh, try to rebuild the bridges uh, between and uh, among us because there's still so much that we have to do. And I believe so much that we can still do uh, in the next decade. So take care and see you. Lisa, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Red. Mabuhay kayo. Mabuhay, thinkers. Mm -hmm.